As you're turning there, turning to Deuteronomy chapter 6, I want you to think about these words from John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, these are words from Jesus, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So basically this, if you love Christ, uh, from a biblical uh, love definition, if you love Christ, you're going to keep his commandments. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will keep my commandments. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, you, you've heard these verses before or read them before. You're familiar with them. But um, there's this little passage here in Deuteronomy chapter 6 where the Israelites have, have now been rescued. They're being redeemed. They're being rescued. And in their rescuing from slavery and in their new life in God, uh, God is giving them instructions on how they're supposed to live, what their life is supposed to look like, what they're supposed to say, how they're supposed to act, how they're supposed to dress, or what they're supposed to eat. All these new uh, commandments that he's given, giving to them. And we hear in verse uh, 4, we hear, him say, we hear him say this, Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So we're setting this stage up. Uh, Moses has been given these words by God, and now he's presenting them to, to the people of Israel, or the people belonging to the people belonging to God. And if this morning, if you've confessed Christ as Lord, you belong to him, so you can hear these words also. Hear, O Lord, the Shema is this. Hear, O Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your might. You probably have that memorized. We're going to look at it in Matthew when Jesus is saying it here in just a moment. You probably have this memorized. If you've, if you've been uh, in this room for, for the short amount of time that I've been here, you've probably heard it way too much. You, you should have it memorized. If you don't, memorize it today. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So, so that's saying you're going to love God with everything that you are. There's no separation. There's no loving the Lord your God on Sunday, but not loving him on Monday. There's no loving the Lord your God with your heart, but not your soul. There's no loving, the God, loving God with your heart and soul, but not your strength or your might. It's a whole life type thing. It's loving God with everything that you are. And these words, verse 6 says this, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Okay, so we're hearing this command from the Lord. Hear, O Israel, hear, here's what the Lord has to say, the Shema statement. You're hearing this, and you're going to apply it and put it into practice by letting it be in or on your heart. So we talk a lot about that following Christ is a heart transformation. Like we have a lot of heart issues uh, when we deal, when we try to deal rightly or biblically with, with the, the things that we're presented with in the world. We have to deal with them from a transformed heart way. So it's important to see this when, when we hear this, O Israel, when we hear this, that the Lord is, He's our God, He's one, there's, there's no separation of Him. And so, so with that, uh, we hear that we're supposed to love the Lord your God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. So we have to get to this moment where being in the presence of the Lord, being under the Lord, allowing God to be Lord of our life and His Lordship is the place that we want to dwell. We just sang Psalm 84. How lovely is the dwelling place? How lovely we want to be in this place. Uh, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Uh, think through that for a moment. How many of you woke up this morning saying, like not coming to the temple, and that's what I'm talking about, 
But being in the presence of the Lord today was better than anything else. I mean, you can name a thousand other things. Being in the presence of the Lord was the best option for you today. And so when we say we're going to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with everything that we are, we come into this understanding and our heart being transformed that there is no better place to be. There's nothing, there's nowhere else, there's no better place to be than with or in the presence of the Lord, no matter, no matter the circumstance. So turn to Matthew chapter 22. We'll catch up where Jesus is giving this, giving this command. See, when we're slowing down, when we slow down, we're taking time, my hope is this, for the next three weeks at least, that we're taking time to become or use opportunities to be obedient to Christ and what he's commanded us to do, Christ and Christ alone. And I know just several weeks ago we talked about obedience, and here we are talking about it again. But I find it interesting, like if we look at the letters written to the churches, even the, even the short little letters that were written to the churches in Revelation, when we look at those quick little letters in Revelation, and we look at the letters written to the churches, the majority of the content of those letters are not strategies and programs on how to grow the church numerically. But instead, the majority of the content that was written to the churches is about their holiness about their purity, about righteousness, about trustworthiness, about obedience to Christ. I mean, we've almost, we've almost gone backwards, or we have gone backwards, and flip-flopped. Let's spend the majority of our time looking at multiplying. Let's spend the majority of our time looking at uh, increasing our numbers, how we, how we fill pews, instead of looking at the majority of our time saying, here's a holy God who desires a holy people. How, how can we be obedient to Christ? How can we love the Lord our God with everything that we are? How can we get to a point where we say, in my heart, with genuineness, that being in the presence of the Lord is better than being anywhere else in this world? So we meet up with Jesus and, and some Pharisees and his disciples in Matthew chapter 22. And uh, Jesus is questioned with this great question. He's questioned about the greatest commandment. He's questioned about the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that we just read. See, in Jewish culture, they're repeating this every day. They're waking up and they're repeating Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Lord, the Lord our God is one. The Lord our God is, is the God. Hear, O Israel, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And this shall be written on your heart or it should be in your heart. And they're repeating this. We're going to talk about next week Jonah. Even Jonah, as a prophet, he knows the Shema. He's repeating it daily. It's memorized. It's something that he's living by. Everyone knows that it's the greatest commandment. So we're going to talk for a moment here about obedience to Christ. You loving him. You being obedient to his commandments. And because I had in the mess there at the end, commandments, many of you said, uh, can we just narrow it down to one? So let's just go with the greatest commandment for a moment here. Can we just go with the greatest commandment of loving the Lord our God with all that we are? With every moment of our life, every thought of our life, every heart of our life, every, every uh, might of our life, every soul of our life, however you want to break it down there, can we move to a moment where we are in love with Christ so much that we want every bit of our life to be under his commandments. So in the Pharisees, verse, uh, chapter 22, Matthew 22, verse 34 says this, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, 
they gathered together. So Jesus put the Sadducees to, uh, to shame a little bit. He silenced them by his, uh, his uh, conversation with them. You can read that before these verses. And then verse 35 says this, And one of them, a lawyer, so a smart guy, a lawyer asked him a question to bring him to a test. Hey, you seem smart. You put the Sadducees to, to silence, but we think that we are smarter than you. And so because of that, we're going to put you to test to see what you actually, what you actually know. In verse 36, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, this is a silly, silly question, really. I mean, this is like a one plus one kind of question. This is a what's your name kind of question. This is a, uh, uh, you know, is the sky blue kind of question. Like, like if you're Jewish and you've been taught the law at all, you already know the answer to this question. So it's interesting that a lawyer would ask this question, right? I mean, somebody who's well-versed in like how to debate well-versed in how to prove other people wrong, and yet he's going to ask this simple question, is the sky blue? What's one plus one? What's the greatest commandment, or what's the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, Jesus answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. We know this. This is it. This is the beginning. This is foundation. This is when you wake up in the morning. Are you loving God? Are you being obedient to this? Are you loving God with all that you are? And then he says this, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So what's foundational? Where are you rooted in? You're rooted in these two commandments today. When you walk out of this building today and you say, I love Jesus, Oh, you do. John 14, 15 says, if you love Jesus, you're going to follow his commandments. So today, in your love of Jesus, in your love of Jesus, will you obey him in these two very simple commandments of loving God with all that you are and loving your neighbor as you love yourself? Two great, easy commandments to memorize. Two great commandments that aren't so easy to put into practice. Have you ever had that moment where you've said, uh, I love you, but I just don't like you right now? Have you had that? Maybe you said it to a spouse or to a child or to a, a co-worker or to uh, somebody else that you I was telling uh, Lee a story about a couple of former students who, uh, who fought constantly. Brothers fought constantly and they kind of had this attitude like, I love you. And one of them said, and I even know Jesus loves you. But right now I do not like you by any means. Those weren't his words exactly, but that's what he was trying to relay to, uh, to his brother. And we get to that moment where we can say, I love you, but at this moment I don't like you. That's not following or obeying Christ at all. I mean, Christ is looking for us to say, I love you, and I will obey you no matter what. Uh, if you would just break down, and we're going we're gonna to try and give you next week uh, 49 of these resources, uh, 49 of these commandments from Christ. I mean, 49 of, of the commandments from Christ. Commandments like, love your neighbor. Commandments like, love God with all that you are. Commandments like, repent. Commandments like, uh, don't lust. Commandments like, don't divorce. Command I mean, all these commandments that you've seen, we've went to the Sermon on the Mount together, so you know most of them already. I mean, these simple commandments that we're going to say, we, we want to be obedient to Christ and Christ alone. I love him, so I'm going to follow, I'm going to follow his commandments. And we're good Southern Baptists, right? We have the Great Commission memorized. Teach them to observe, to obey all that Christ has commanded or has taught. It is our responsibility to observe what Christ has, has taught. It's important for us to do that. And I think when we slow down, we take time, to understand his commandments, understand his teachings. We take time to love like he loves. We take time to love him like he deserves to be loved or is worthy of our love. When we do those things and we're slowing down on that, uh, then we can actually be 
obedient to his commandments. Have you ever had to just uh, real quickly, uh, something happened, uh, maybe there was a fire, uh, maybe there was something uh, in the parking lot, uh, maybe there was something at home and you needed to get from one place to another extremely quickly, so you began to run. You didn't stretch before, you hadn't been working out in the morning, but all of a sudden like you just need to have your body in motion and move as quickly as possible. When we do that without training, when we begin, uh, just all of a sudden we need to move as quickly as we can. We need to run this race as fast as we can. When we do that without training, uh, a couple of things happen. Number one, adrenaline kicks in, and in our adrenaline we begin to get we, our fo- our focus begins to narrow because we haven't been training our heart to go along with what we're about to do. So we're not training our heart with conditioning and, and diet and exercise and all these things that we need to be doing. And so when we just immediately say, i got to kick this into gear and get going, adrenaline kicks in for a short time, but then our body's like freaking out. I don't know what you're doing, but you haven't been doing this. Now all of a sudden you're trying to force me to do this. And your heart can't take it. Like you got a great will and, and, and might, but, but it's, it's limited. And so in that, your, your heart begins to pump faster and blood's trying to get to the places it needs to go. And all of a sudden, your, your focus, your vision begins to narrow. I mean, maybe you've even gone so far as to your vision narrowed so much that you actually blacked out. And people are like, what happened to you? Well, I just passed out. Well, how come? Well, I've been training for this. Like they said, all of a sudden, we need to run a marathon, and I'm trying to run this marathon, and I have barely even made it four steps because I have not been training for I haven't been training for this. I haven't been adjusting my heart, doing the exercises that I need to do. I haven't been putting into practice the things that I need to be doing. When I served on the volunteer fire department, I thought it was the most interesting thing how often I got yelled at for moving too quickly on the fire scene. It's a fire. We've got to put this thing out. And the chief would yell, no, slow down. Quit moving so quickly. Take your time. Get to the places that you need to be at when I tell you to get there so that when you're moving there at a quick rate but not running – your mind is still thinking clearly. A perfect example is this. We're responding to a, to a, a, a and I've told you this story before, maybe some of you. We're responding to a car that crashed into a playa lake. Uh, thunderstorms going, lightning's hitting the ground, there's rain. Uh, the playa lake filled up and this car ran off the road, hydroplane went off the road, and is now submerged in water, uh, you know, almost completely underwater, and someone's trapped in the car. And the sirens are going off, adrenaline's kicking in. Have we been training for this moment? Do we know what's supposed to happen next? And as I'm riding in the, in the uh, passenger seat or shotgun position uh, and thinking through, like, what are we going to do in the rescue truck? Where's the winch? Where are all these things? How are we going to uh, get this person out? Uh, the man in the driver's seat, who happens to be, hope he never listens to this podcast, who happens to be our assistant fire chief, says, Preacher man, we're driving, lights and sirens, radio's going, I've got to get there quickly, we're driving as fast as we can, lightning bolts, just this moment. Preacher man, I can't swim. Like, okay, well, we should have been training for this. I, mean, I know we live in West Texas and all, but we should have been training for this. Preacher, man, I can't swim. And I said, Mr. Al, if I was you, I wouldn't get in the water then. When our focus narrows, when adrenaline and training doesn't, when training doesn't kick in and adrenaline's taken over and our vision is narrowing and we're trying to run this race and we're trying to go as fast as we can and all these things, our, our clarity of mind and our vision is not where it should be or supposed to be. Don't get in the water if you can't swim. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Preacher man, that's pretty smart. Yeah, I think it is too. If you can't swim, don't get in the water. But how often, this relates to your spiritual life, how often are you running this race that Paul has talked about? 
And in running the race, you have not been putting into practice daily habits, we'll call them, daily disciplines. And all of a sudden, a traumatic event happens. And Eugene Peterson says sometimes it's not even traumatic, really. Sometimes it's things that we, we call uh, headliner moments that shouldn't even be a headline at all in our life. It should be tucked away like on page 93 in the newspaper. Like no one should even be reading this. But we're calling it a headliner moment because we haven't been preparing for this. And everything is lost almost. We begin to lose focus and vision. We know that our feet are firmly planted on ground. We're trying to run this race, but our heart's pumping out of whack. We're not going in the direction that we're supposed to be going. We don't even know what we're really looking at anymore. We've lost focus. And then thankfully the church comes alongside of us and says, hey, calm down. The fire chief is yelling at you, slow down, slow down. You're moving too quickly. You don't know where you're even going. Your vision is, is lost. Stay focused on what's most important. And Christ here giving this great commandment. You love me? You're going to follow my command. You're going to be obedient to me. And this is what happens. This is so interesting to me. Jesus is teaching these Pharisees this, kind of this slow down type of mentality, like don't lose track of what's the greatest commandment. Don't lose track of what, of what it means to be obedient with me. Remember these Pharisees, they're religious rock stars. People want to be like them. They know everything there is to know about religious moments. I mean, you know those books that you've seen before, 101 Answers for This or Christianity for Idiots or whatever the case may be. Like, oh, that looks, I need that book. Like, uh, Daily Answers for Daily Life. Like, that's what I need. How do I not drink Dr. Pepper? And there's like a verse for it. You know, that's the Pharisees. They're coming up with stuff like that. They're coming up with stuff on, on uh, you know, let's, let's use Scripture, use the law, and try and apply it to life. So they know everything. So everyone's turning to them. Everyone's going to them. Jesus says this great commandment, and then he moves to verse 41, and he says this. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said, He's the son of David. And he said to them, How is it then that David and the Spirit calls him Lord? Saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. From Psalm 110. If then David calls him Lord... How is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare ask him any more questions. I mean, Jesus just pointed out, here's the greatest commandment. Here's the greatest commandment. And here's the second greatest commandment, or the commandment that's just like it, to love God with all that you are. Now let's move to who's Lord. Who has lordship? Is it somebody that's going to be just a regular son of David? Or is it somebody that's going to be over David? Lordship, obedience to the Lord. And then Jesus said in verse 1 of chapter 23, says this, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Uh, they're heirs to Moses' law. They've kept it all. They're sitting in a place, in a position of authority, almost of lordship. They're sitting in a position of kingship. Listen to what they say. In fact, he says this, So practice and observe whatever they tell you. So you see them seated on Moses' seat, and they're preaching good things. They're saying good things, so observe them. Obey them. Listen to what they're saying. But do not practice or observe what they do. Remember those same Pharisees just moments ago who was trying to put Jesus into question, trying to trick him, trying to put him in a trap? Hey, what's the greatest thing? What's the greatest thing? They have all this head knowledge. 
They have all this uh, book knowledge in a, in a sense, but yet they were not putting into practice what they understood. They were not observing even their own preaching or their own sermons. They were not a, a being obedient to what the Scripture actually says to do. So practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do. Not what they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on, lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Think for a moment here. Think of some great organization in our, in our country, some great company, some company that's really, really famous. Maybe they make some kind of product that most everyone has had or will have or is thinking about having. And let's say just for a moment this organization decides to come up with a new representative for their company. And all of a sudden they present their new representative for the world to see. And then judgment comes. Why would they pick this individual to represent their company? And what happens? People begin saying, I'm not buying that product anymore. This organization or this company, they're losers. Why would they choose this person? Do they not see what he or she is doing? Have they not seen how they've done this or not done this? Do you see their life? They're going to allow this person to represent their organization? I'm not buying their product anymore. But they're going to burn their product. I'm going to make a scene out of it. I'm going to show the world I'm never supporting this company again because of, the, because of the character they're putting in place to represent them. You, you know what organization I'm talking about, right? The church. The kingdom. That's exactly what's happened. This great kingdom organization, an organization of redemption, of reconciliation, of love, and the commander of that organization said, I will allow these people to be my representatives. Man, my hope is this for my own life. My hope is this, that if Christ were to gather a crowd together and point me out, hey, he's seated on Moses' seat. And what he's teaching you, what he's preaching to you, do. And also what he's doing, do also. I mean, we as the church are supposed to be representing some of Christ's commands, like seek first his kingdom, like love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, like love your neighbor as you love yourself, like a, a spirit of repentance, a spirit of unity. I mean, these commandments that he's given to us, like loving our enemies, we are those representatives. If you belong to Christ, if you've been redeemed by Christ, if he's placed his righteousness upon you, you belong to his kingdom. And he's Lord and king of that kingdom. And you become his representative. And the only way to represent him well, the only way to represent him well, is to remember daily that he is Lord of your life. And then in remembering that daily, that he is Lord of my life, I'm also remembering that I should love my Lord with everything that I am. We're going to talk about next week the difference between consenting and finding delight. You've probably signed or agreed to some kind of consent form before. God's people who belong to him through the purchase of Jesus should be delighting in what he has done for us, what he's doing for us. We should have a vision for what he's going to do for us. Let's not be like the Pharisees here. 
who so say things with their mouth, but yet do not observe or practice them with their life. Let's be people who slow down, who take advantage of the time that we've been given, making the most of every opportunity in season or out of season to be obedient to Christ and Christ alone. Turn to Psalm 16. In Psalm 16, David has come to the realization that Christ, that God will not abandon his soul. He comes to the realization that no matter what's happening, he has this hope in God. He's trusting in God no matter what. Psalm 16 verse 1 says this, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. For in you I take refuge. Think for a moment, when you're slowing down, you want to be obedient to Christ and his lordship. Where are you taking refuge? I've talked about my baby cousin before, uh, and he, he said um, when he gets in trouble, his place of refuge is Walmart. So his mom is about, my, my cousin's about to discipline him, and um, he says, Mama, can we just go to Walmart? Because that's his place of refuge. And that sounds really silly, but how many of us have some sort of refuge that's just as silly? That's not the Lord. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. When you hear the heart of David, understanding that he has no good apart from God. This is someone who's uh, decided to be obedient to God and God alone. Someone who's decided that he's going to love God with all that he is. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is my is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God sh- shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be shaken. I mean, this is someone who's taking refuge in the Lord, who's saying that he's going to love God with everything that he is, with his life, all of it, from boundary place to boundary place, with all his things, from, uh, from, from, uh, and all his soul, all his might, all his heart. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. And my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For who, for you will not abandon my soul to shale or let your Holy One see corruption. And the one that I struggle with the most out of this, the one that I deal with most often, verse 11 says this, You make known to me the path of life. I'm good with that. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Yeah, but David, have you seen But have you been to this river? Have you casted line in this place? Have you gone on this adventure? Have you seen these things? Have you tasted Sally's cinnamon rolls? You will see that But there may be joy in other places. No. In the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
I mean, this is from King David, who our Lord Jesus is over. King David, who lowered understanding, lowered himself, that his Lord will be Lord over him. And obedience to him saying, all my pleasure, all my love will be upon God. All my pleasure will be in him. All fullness of joy will be found in the Lord and the Lord alone. Ray, Ray Allen, maybe you know him. He's a, a basketball player, retired. He was just inducted into the Hall of Fame. And uh, he wrote a letter to himself after he retired. And uh, part of the letter was uh, you know, kind of like a t- to my younger self type thing. And in the letter, he talks about the secret to playing in the NBA, the secret to playing and being a championship athlete in the NBA. And he says it comes down to this. Here's the secret. It's all about boring old habits. It's about waking up every day shooting. It's about waking up every day eating breakfast. It's about waking up every day doing the same things over and over and over again. Championships aren't won on the finals night of championship night. Championships are won throughout the season, throughout practice time, throughout a daily uh, obedience kind of to boring old habits. I would say David's probably in that same category, that he understood that his life was supposed to be about habits, about disciplines, about obedience to God. The difference between Ray Allen and David is David saw pleasure in obedience to God. David took delight in God's word. David took, uh, f- found fullness of joy being at the right hand or in the presence of the Lord. Christian, my hope is this, that you see being obedient to Christ, not as some requirement of just some boring old habits, but instead that you would find fullness of joy in the presence of the Lord, that all your delight would be found in him. That you would move to a place where you love God with everything, in every moment, everything that you are, you're loving God. And so in loving God, and out of redemption, being obedient to Him every, every day. We often miss, we often miss the small things, looking for those headline moments. Uh, at some point, I'm going to have to trust in God. At some point, there's something that's going to happen and I'll have to be obedient to Him. But right now, I'm just waiting for that moment. No, daily, daily being obedient to Christ, daily looking to him, daily looking to him for all your needs to be, to be met. We took a trip when I was a kid, uh, often to uh, Tacoma, Colorado, uh, for a family church camp. My whole family, uh, my mom's side of the family, we all went together, traveled together. We had an old Suburban, it uh, looked like a school bus, it was the same color as a school bus. My dad got a real good deal on it. My mom thought it was a terrible deal, uh, but we took that, that uh, Suburban on many trips up there, and um, one of those trips where uh, we're driving through the mountain roads and uh, my uncle's in front of us and all of a sudden he pulls off to the side of the road, which is really narrow anyways because it's a mountain road. He pulls off to the side of the road and my dad just immediately follows him in obedience uh, to, to following the leader, just follows him. And as we, um, as we get off onto the side of the road, right behind my uncle, uh, this, this uh, Jeep, you know, with huge tires, similar to what you see around here, uh, comes just uh, barreling around the corner, and there's four, you know, uh, mature young adults in there laughing and, and driving recklessly, running people off, off the road. And uh, anyways, a little bit of a traumatic moment. You know, we thought, oh, we're going to die, we're going to have a crash. Uh, but it was interesting to see how quickly my dad just followed followed kind of in obedience to, to my uncle. 
And I was sitting in the back seat by my cousin, my older cousin, John David. We're sitting in the back seat, and I had a real terrible habit at that time, chewing on straws. I don't know if you've ever done that. I don't even know why, what, what, what causes us to do that. I kind of have some idea, but anyways. Uh, so I had a bad habit of chewing on straws. And, uh, and we, we continued to drive now. The scene's over, and we're driving. And my mom began to ask us questions. You know, like, you guys okay? You see what happened? Like, yeah. And I, like, raised my hand kind of, you know. Uh, hey, Mom, but the good news is this. But when I saw that we were about to wreck, I pulled that straw out of my mouth so I wouldn't choke on it. I mean, that's pretty smart, right? <laughs> and my mom said, okay, man, Harvey, that's good. But do you have your seatbelt on? And then you answer like you do when you already know the answer, but, but you want to pretend like you don't. So you just say, huh? What, what did you say? Did you have your seatbelt on? And in that moment of that short amount of time, the seatbelt came on. When I'm trying to answer correctly, yes, mom, I do have my seatbelt on. No, no, did you have it on? What does it matter now? How often we miss, because we're moving so quickly, how often we miss what is most important. We go about doing the things that we think should be being done. We find many distractions to be distracted by. We think that we're loving God with everything. Ah, oh, yeah, I love Jesus. And then he asks us to do something and follow his commandments. Well, if you love me, you'll follow my commandments. We read through his commandments and we say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I love you, but I just don't like you right now. That's not obedience to Christ. Those simple daily habits, trusting in the Lord daily, learning his commandments, observing them, putting them into practice, putting them into practice. And I know it's simple and it's really silly, but have you been in a moment where you've been questioned? You're questioned with your spirituality. And I'm not talking about trying to prove if God exists or prove if Christ is the Son of God or prove the Trinity or prove uh, who made God, those types of things. I'm talking about the simple moments when you were so proud of yourself for pulling the straw out of your mouth so you wouldn't choke, but then questioned whether you had your seatbelt on. And at that moment, what do you do? How do you answer? Well, I lied. I was dishonest. Yeah, kind of. I have it on now. It's those simple moments that we build our life upon. And when we're loving Christ with everything that we are and submitting to him under his lordship, then we say, every single moment, I want to be in obedience to you. Every single moment, I want to be in obedience to you. So you'll have an opportunity today. I'm not just, I want to say prove your love, but really it is almost a proving. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You'll have an opportunity today to prove your love for Christ and the way that you obey him and the way that you follow him and the way you say he is Lord of my life and I love him. And no matter what he throws at me, no matter what he says to me, no matter what he calls me to do or asks me to do, in obedience to him, I will say, Lord, I will delight in what you've asked me to do. I'm going to love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, everything I am. I'm going to be obedient to him and to him alone.